0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's podcast episode. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. If you are new, welcome. Let me just give a little synopsis for those new folks um, about what this podcast is. So, basically, I choose a topic every single week, just kind of any random topic. Although I have been doing a series where we learn about the, uh, the United States and go through each state and talk about their history, but Other than that kind of series, I just choose a topic that I want to know more about. I research it for the week. I put together like an outline and a, um, just a, I don't know, basically a report of what I've learned. And then I report all back to you so we can all learn together. So consider this your Jeopardy prep podcast um, because I'm just trying to accumulate, I guess, as much knowledge as I can. So this week we are talking about alcohol because... This is just a theme that has come up a lot recently in my life. Like, I guess, I don't know how much depth I want to go into because it's like, you know, friends of mine that are close, but basically there's some things happening in their life that are negative that are due to alcohol, due to other people's choices of with alcohol. And a lot of people that I know have started to drink a lot less, I have not drank in like, well, I guess it's like 320 days or something now, a little over 320 days. So I'm almost a year of not drinking. Now, part of that and a large part of that was because I was pregnant for like nine of those months. But since I've had the baby and we're now like eight, nine weeks in, I still have just not drank and I've really, really enjoyed not drinking. And I think I'm just done drinking. And so I keep hearing about more and more people who are just done drinking or kind of having negative things in their lives happen because of others drinking, um, people going on like drinking cleanses. And so I just really wanted to talk about alcohol, like the history of it, the debate about if there's any health benefits or if it's only health detriments, like what the Bible says about alcohol, and then kind of say my experience with it as well, and just talk about where I am with regards to alcohol now, which I kind of give you a synopsis, but we'll go into more detail there. So if you have even thought, if you drink, if you don't drink, if you've even thought about not drinking, let's talk about alcohol. It's going to be an interesting episode and let's get right into it. Okay, the first thing, you know, after I decided I was going to do this podcast about alcohol, the first thing I wanted to look up is kind of the history of alcohol. Because I know, you know, I did a whole podcast on the Prohibition era and, you know, when that started and when it ended and what kind of happened in the meantime and people smuggling it and, like, bootleg alcohol and speakeasies and all of that. But I didn't really research things around or, you know, outside of prohibition. So I wanted to know how we got to the point where alcohol is legal and I guess kind of why some other drugs aren't legal, but that's gonna be a whole other episode of like why marijuana is illegal versus why alcohol is legal. But for today, we'll just stick with the alcohol history. And so I found this good uh, article, karen.org, C-A-R-O-N, uh, and I will link it below as I do, but it talks about the history with alcohol and America's history with alcohol. So it says that alcohol was a part of North America long before Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but the Europeans' arrival cemented alcohol culture in the Americas. So as of 1770, the year 1770, colonists drank an average of three and a half gallons of alcohol per year. So that is about double what, People drink today. By 1830, so 60 years later, that number had doubled. So any colonists, or I guess on average, colonists over the age of 15 drank over seven gallons of alcohol per year. Now that is a lot of alcohol. But part of the thing was because you know water wasn't really safe to drink in a lot of cases. And so Beer and alcohol were safer to drink uh, than water. It says, but for some context, by 1830, the average person was consuming just under two bottles of 80 proof liquor every week. So that's a lot. That's definitely a lot. It says this enormous drinking boom led to moral objections. And in 1919, prohibition was enacted in the U.S., Uh, alcohol was illegal at least in name but underground trade flourished that was what i was talking about with the prohibition era and uh, go listen to my prohibition podcast episode if you would like to to get more details about that whole era it says that organized crime was very popular speakeasies were a fashion of the day and it also says prohibition was by and large a failure but it still did not get repealed until 1930 so we had prohibition in this country for about 11 years and it just really didn't work. The Great Depression hit, and then it became legal in 1930. After World War II, it says that alcohol started to rise in popularity again. At that point, you know, there were more medical studies, and we learned about fetal alcohol syndrome, the risks with drunk driving, all of that kind of started uh, happening around that time. And then Before 1984, the legal drinking age was 18, and in 1984, it was raised to 21, and that is basically considered the modern age of alcohol use. So that's very, very briefly the history with America and alcohol. Colonists drank a ton, basically, and then people were saying, like, that's not moral, Prohibition happened, and then we had this other kind of spike after World War II. Now, let's talk about problems with alcohol use. This is all in the same article, so we'll just keep going with that. Problems with alcohol abuse. It says, today, more than 86% of U.S. adults over the age of 18 report that they have drank alcohol at some point. Honestly, I would think that it would be higher than 86% of people over 18. Oh, I guess over the age of 18. So not over the age of 21. So I guess some people are staying, you know, legal with it and not drinking till 21. Also, probably, I would assume a decent percentage of that is Mormons who do not drink at all. Or I think Muslims maybe don't drink at all. Or, you know, maybe that 14% is largely like religious factions who don't believe in drinking. Uh, 70% said that they have had a drink in the last year. 56% have had a drink in the last month. But the American relationship with alcohol is far from healthy, it says. It's true that America has one of the lowest alcohol use rates per capita of first world countries. Belgium, Germany, France, and the UK, oh, and Australia are all ahead of America in their alcohol use rates per capita. So that's that was interesting to me because I thought that we would definitely be one of the highest. I feel like it's pretty rampant here. Although my brother and sister-in-law went to Germany and like they drink beer with breakfast. They're drinking beer all the time. So obviously France, you're drinking a ton. I would think that the UK with like Ireland, it seems like they would drink a ton. So I guess it does add up, but uh, it just seems like we abuse it more. Like, so I don't know. It gets into more of these details, but um, we have a higher rate of alcohol abuse than any of those countries, but we have some of the, one of the lowest alcohol use rates, which is very interesting. About 15 million American adults struggle with alcohol use disorder. It says in America, in American culture, alcohol is used for celebration and commiseration alike. It has a sort of therapeutic role in our society. How often have you said after a long day or a stressful situation, I need a drink? says too often we use alcohol in general and drunkenness in particular as a coping mechanism. It's an unhealthy relationship, okay, it gets imparted from a young age. The, the college culture is another thing that is contributing factor for this. It says college kids are notorious binge drinkers. Uh, this is a culture, and this is a culture adults help to perpetuate, accepting that college kids drink heavily. For many, alcohol has been taboo up to that point. So when they go to college, get their hands on alcohol for the first time, they do not understand how to drink with moderation or drink responsibly. So I do think that this is like a huge issue. It is just accepted by many, many people that college, like you're basically binge drinking in college and people will honestly kind of like assist you in that and some parents will act like, oh, it's just no big thing, like, yeah, of course you're drinking in college, and so it's just a really, college is just such a weird microcosm of things that are just not acceptable in real life, like, it has become less of, like, a training ground, and more just a four-year party for most people, I would say, and it's just so weird, like, it was crazy. Once I graduated college, you kind of come out of the, the haze and be like, none of this would be just acceptable in the real world. Like you don't go out four times a week or three times a week in the real world. You have to get up and be on time. You can't just be skipping class and you can't you know, I don't know. It's just a college is has just evolved, I feel like, into just this kind of terrible bubble where anything really is just acceptable, it's just chaotic, at least for me. It just felt ca- like chaos, and you get in this weird mindset that's like accepted, especially surrounding alcohol and drinking and things like that. That just won't function for you in the real world. I don't know how how else to put that. I guess. Um, one other thing that I kind of wanted to mention that I thought was interesting, but I don't have an article about it. But I heard on I think Joe Rogan like years ago that part of this culture and part of this, um, where it says that like 15 million Americans have alcohol abuse disorder and they're basically alcoholics. Some people believe that part of that is because our like ancestors, the, the people who came over to America and started brand new, like the colonists, they were true risk takers, like can you imagine living in England with like a pretty bougie lifestyle and you have a home and you you know you're in like an old town that is has been founded long ago, and all this stuff, and you decide to leave that comfortable life to come over to a brand new land like brand new to the Europeans, that no one knew about, that they had to explore, that they had to map out. You didn't know if you were going to survive. You had like these harsh winters. It was a huge, huge risk. And some people, I believe, there was like an expert on, or maybe Joe looked up (laughs) an article or something, but some people believe that our genes inherently as Americans are more risk-taking or we tend to be more risk-taking and that would kind of go with the alcoholism and um, that gene can contribute to it because our ancestors were the ones that decided to take that risk. They thought that was like a good idea and they came over here. And so we have like a gene pool that is inherently more adrenaline junkie, more risk-taking, and that tends to go hand-in-hand with drinking. That is a theory that I'm <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard on... Joe Rogan's uh, podcast a while back, but I've thought about that a lot just in terms of like our innovation and our risk-taking in general and our position in the world that could be determined kind of by our gene pool because our ancestors chose to come over here and they were naturally more risk-taking. So I do think that goes in line with why we might have some of the higher rates of alcohol abuse. Okay, so here's some alcoholism stats. It says that with the American relationship with alcohol being what it is, it's hardly surprising that so many people suffer from an alcohol use disorder. More than 6% of adults in the U S have an alcohol use disorder about one in 12 men and one in 25 women. Um, it also says 623,000 people between the ages of 12 and 17 have alcohol use disorders, which is like really scary because your brain is still developing. And that's just so young to be drinking at all let alone having an alcohol use uh disorder it says about eighty-eight thousand people die of alcohol related causes every year in the u.s and it is the third leading cause of preventable death in the country after tobacco and poor diet and exercise choices it says less than seven percent of those suffering from an alcohol use disorder seek treatment for the disease which from what i have seen and i don't know a lot of alcoholics but I, I only know, like, I guess one. Um, but yeah, it is like, well, okay. I should say that I only personally know, like, one alcoholic, but I listen to, like, a ton of podcasts. And uh, I listen to Dax Shepard's podcast. He is an addict and he has a lot of celebrities on who have talked about their addictions. And I read a lot of celebrity memoirs and for some reason a lot of celebrities are addicts. So I've read about a lot of them and it seems honestly like just pulling teeth to get anyone to treatment or to have anyone accept that like, yes, I'm an alcoholic and I cannot drink anymore. I feel like a lot of people deny, 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 and then say like, oh, I'm just going to cut back a little bit and that tends to not work. and, And then eventually some go to treatment. But Yeah, from what I have read about it, that kind of lines up. Less than 7% of those suffering from an alcohol use disorder seek treatment. Okay, so this was an interesting thing because when you think about alcoholics, or I guess just people binge drinking, you think of college age kids like he was mentioning. But this article also talks about something called the middle age crisis. So it says, bench drinking certainly is a problem among high school and college students, but surprisingly, the group most affected by alcohol use disorders are middle-aged adults. In 2015, the CDC estimated that more than three-quarters of alcohol poisoning deaths across two years were adults between the ages of 35 and 64. Now, if you were to have, before I read this article, if you were to have told me that, you know, the middle-aged demographic, adults between the ages of 35 and 64, had the most alcohol-related deaths, I would have like, I would have believed that pretty just, you know, just fine. Like you've been drinking a while and I would have thought that they were mostly car-related things. I feel like in college, even though that there are, there's a lot of binge drinking going on, I feel like there are some people you know who are brand new to drinking who are like overly cautious of like don't let anyone drinking drive you have a lot of friends around to help just keep you on the guardrails kind of and everyone at least for me in college like everyone had each other's back everyone was aware like if you went out as a group and you were all drinking everyone knew where each other was and you kind of all just hung together so like you made sure everyone was safe So even though there is more binge drinking in college, everyone's kind of a unit, if that makes sense. I mean, other than there are, of course, alcohol poisoning deaths and stuff, but I feel like for most people, you're kind of in like a group and you're kind of making sure everyone's checking up on everyone. So I would have believed that, you know, between 35 and 64, maybe you don't have that group. You're not drinking with like a whole group. You're whatever if you have a tendency to try to get in the car after you're drinking, maybe, you know, you would get more like drunk driving accidents and stuff like that between those ages. I almost didn't, I had to like reread this sentence because I cannot believe that three quarters, more than three quarters of alcohol poisoning deaths were adults. That means you're literally drinking so much. That you're dying because you're just, like, guzzling alcohol. That doesn't seem even fathomable to me between the ages of 35 and 64. That is crazy. Two Princeton experts suggested that this high rate of alcohol poisoning death was a result of despair. White adults in that age group have had to deal with the complete transformation of the world they knew in a few short years. Right as they entered adulthood, 9-11 happened, the war in Iraq happened, there was a recession, Katrina hit and that, it says, shattered their world. So these adults have had to adapt to a world very different than their childhoods, have, had prepared them for, it says, far from having career success, economic prosperity, and the golden age their parents conditioned them for, they're facing an ever more divided world where they have to do their best to scratch out a life. Many of them turn to alcohol as a coping mechanism. Again, I would believe that that would cause more instances of binge drinking, which they define binge drinking as like, I think, more than two, uh, I'd have to look up the actual binge drinking definition, but I would think that that would lead to some more frequent use, like drinking two drinks a day or drinking three drinks a day. But to have alcohol poisoning deaths, you're drinking so much that it just seems wild that that's the demographic it's mostly affecting uh it says when alcohol becomes a problem is one of these uh like sub paragraphs it says although alcoholism is so prevalent so is normal alcohol use in our culture it is isn't uncommon for adults to come home after work and have a drink or two without it becoming a problem so when does alcohol use become an actual disorder and basically they say that whenever it's affecting your day-to-day life like if your life's imploding you have an alcohol use disorder um strained relationships with loved ones spending more money than you should on alcohol and being late to work because of a hangover that's like signs that it has morphed into an addiction if it's affecting other parts of your life and starting to cause problems uh, in your life this article also points out that it's an illness that it's a disease it's been categorized as a disease Uh, by the CDC and there's like a stigma around addiction because people view it as a moral failing and it is a chemical process in the brain that causes physiological withdrawal symptoms it's a chemical dependence and basically they just say that's important to know because then they are trying to reduce the stigma around seeking help um So that is interesting. Like I get the debate on this and this might not be a popular opinion, but I just want to have the conversation and think about it out loud because yes, I do. I understand that the like process of drinking and then becoming addicted can be like a brain malfunction basically. Like it is an illness where your brain physically becomes dependent. I think that for those people that choose to never drink, obviously they cannot have an alcohol use disorder. So it is preventable like at some point. So there is like a responsibility that or there is a risk that you take on by choosing to drink. And obviously I've chosen to drink, so I'm not saying like yeah, it's like so easy to choose not to drink you know, but there is a certain element of like, you can prevent yourself from having an alcohol use disorder by just never drinking alcohol. Um, but once you start, there is a risk that your brain has the thing that makes you literally sick and craving alcohol constantly. So that's just interesting. And I wish, I honestly wish I had never drank, I guess, because I don't know. I guess I don't have, like, a a great reason. I think every stupid decision I've made in my life, pretty much, has been when I'm drinking. So maybe that's reason in and of itself. Like, there's no crazy thing that... uh, No crazy detrimental thing that's happened to me because I've drank. But it's just, like, you're not making the best decisions when you're drunk. Like, no one is. Your mind's not clear when you're drunk. So um, I just kind of... It would be nice if I had just chosen to never drink, I think. But I have... And so now I probably just won't going forward. But we'll talk about all that in, in a coming segment here. Um, all right. So I'm trying to think if there's any more things here in this article to talk about. One is talking about symptoms of alcoholism. Again, it's kind of like if your life is starting to become out of control. Um, if you can't like drink one, That's usually a sign that something is off, that you have some sort of disorder around it. Uh, It says one drink turns into three, three drinks turns into eight sort of thing. So I've heard this a lot with, like, people who come on podcasts and talk about how they're alcoholics. They think, you know, I'll just have one. And for a long time, they would think, like, I'll just have one. But then once you have one in you, it's, like, a whole different person, and and they... (laughs) don't know that you've agreed to just one, you know? So a lot of people who are alcoholics, they're so committed to like just having one drink that night. But then once they have one in them, they're like, you know what? It turns into it turns into eight, like this article is saying. Risk factors for alcoholism. You may know people with alcoholic family members who will never touch a drop of alcohol. It is a genetically linked disorder. So there is a risk factor for addiction, That if you have a family member who's an addict, you are more likely to be an addict as well. It also comes with other mental health issues, such as depression, anxiety, bipolar, um, starting drinking at an early age, steady drinking over time, and spending time around people who who drink are all risk factors too. It's that thing of like, you know, show me the five people that you surround yourself with, and I'll show you the person you'll become. Basically, like you become the people you're surrounded with. So if all the people around you are drinking and are binge drinkers and partying all the time, chances are you will probably be the same. Um, it also says bariatric surgery can increase your risk of developing an alcohol use disorder as well. So that is that article covered a lot about the history and and role and all that. For a long time, there had been... Um, health benefits or there, there had been studies that said like hey there might be health benefits in drinking like one glass of red wine a day and I feel like everyone's been told that like hey just have a glass of red wine and a little square of dark chocolate and that gives you all these antioxidants and it's all healthy. So I looked up the alcohol use uh, benefits And this is what this article from mayoclinic.org said. It says, moderate alcohol consumption may provide some health benefits, such as reducing your risk of developing and dying of heart disease, possibly reducing your risk of ischemic stroke, which is when the arteries to your brain become narrowed or blocked, and the possibility of reducing your risk of diabetes. But it says that eating a healthy diet and being physically active have a much greater health benefit than all of these things, and even moderate alcohol use is not risk-free. Um, it says, even light drinkers who have no more than one drink a day have a tiny but real increased risk of some cancers, such as esophageal cancer uh, and drinking and driving. Obviously, they say is never, you know, a good idea. Obviously, there is a ton of negative side effects related to, like, binge drinking and heavy alcohol use, Um, and this says heavy or high risk drinking is defined as more than three drinks on any day and more than seven drinks a week for women and men older than 65 and more than four drinks on any day or more than 14 drinks a week for men aged 65 and younger. So if you think about it, like two drinks a day for men, like if, if like a guy comes home from work and has like a double shot. You know, that is considered heavy or high-risk drinking. And that comes with an increased risk of cancers, pancreatitis, sudden death, if you have cardiovascular disease, heart muscle damage, uh, stroke, high blood pressure, liver disease, suicide, accidental injury, brain damage, and alcohol withdrawal syndrome. So that is like the risks of heavy use, but for a long time it was said, yes, there are all these, um, you know, there are at least some benefits of light drinking, uh, per day, but even let's see. Yeah. Okay. So the articles have said that there were some health benefits of having like a glass of wine a day. Well, if a woman has a glass of wine a day, that is seven drinks a week And that is also considered heavy or high risk drinking. So I think our relationship or our perception of what heavy drinking is, is really skewed because what it actually is defined as, as is one drink a day. If I had one drink a day for me, if I had like a beer once a day, that is heavy slash high risk drinking, which you would, I, I mean, at least I would never think of, you know, as high risk drinking one drink a day. So there is a new article that came out that said that like no alcohol has health benefits and there is no health benefit in even light drinking. And I will uh, link that article, like all these articles below so you can go read them because still some people say, yes, there's slight, there are slight benefits of light drinking. Some people say there are none. So this is an ongoing debate that I wanted to bring up, um, I would have to just say, like, reading through this Mayo Clinic one, it's much better to choose, like, diet and exercise and those kinds of good choices and forego the alcohol than to somehow say, like, okay, well, for heart health, I'm going to drink a glass of wine a day, you know? So, that is kind of the debate of alcohol use. Obviously, heavy alcohol use is really bad for you, and... I'm starting to think even light alcohol use has little to no benefit. And even if there are some benefits, um, it's just not something I want to mess with. Okay, let's talk about the role of alcohol in our society. We've talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to just talk about how I kind of have perceived it. Because I am starting to get real annoyed, and I have over the past like year, I guess, and I keep hearing people talk about this, how alcohol is literally ingrained in every single part of our lives to a crazy extent. Like there is so much pressure to drink just in everyday life. There are events surrounding drinking. It's like, it's like, you can't go anywhere and, and not drink, you know, there's events at bars and, like if you go out, you're expected to to drink. If you go to dinner, it's kind of expected you'll get wine. And if you're with a group, if you're with a certain group, I, I guess I should say, you have to always explain why you're not drinking. If you're choosing not to drink, it's kind of weird. Like alcohol is the only drug where you have to explain why you're not using that drug. Maybe coffee, but like, People will accept you not drinking coffee way before they accept you not drinking alcohol. People will be like, "Oh yeah, you know, if you're not if you don't drink coffee, oh, I don't like the taste or I don't like the the buzz, like I get anxious or something." You know, and people will be like, "Okay, yeah, that's totally get that." But if you're not drinking alcohol, it's like, "Oh, come on. Like you don't want want to drink? Do you want to drink just one? You know, there's all this pressure to drink and explain yourself. And if you're not drinking, people assume that it's because you have a problem with drinking too much. Like you have to explain, like, I'm not an alcoholic. (laughs) If you're not drinking, you know, some people just choose to not drink. And it's like, they have to say, oh, I am religious. And so I'm choosing not to drink or like you're in recovery, basically. It's, it's a very weird culture surrounding drinking. But there is a new culture emerging, which I am excited about, which is like the sober curious culture. A lot of celebrities are starting to come out as saying, like, "I am sober. I'm not drinking. It's adding no benefit to my life." I can think of like, well, Tom Holland is a is a major example of someone I just saw who stops drinking. He hasn't drank for about a year and a half because he realized like he tried to do dry January and he was still craving alcohol. And so he decided to extend it a couple months and still craving alcohol. And he realized it was kind of a problem and that he was just drinking too much. And so he ended up just saying like, I'm not drinking. And he is now not drank for about a year and a half. And just more and more people are deciding, hey, I don't think this is actually adding any benefit to my life. And I think a lot of this is that you know how they were saying that like alcohol poisoning and alcohol abuse is rampant among 35 to 64 year olds. I think a lot of people who are becoming like of drinking age now and who have been of drinking age for a little bit have seen their parents drink like that and heavily drink and moved towards sober living because they they realize it can be really destructive in in your life and stuff. And so that's kind of a new trend now is people severely limiting their drinking or not drinking at all. And as a result, there's all these fun mocktail recipes and mocktail bars and things popping up, which is great. Like I love a good mocktail. I love the taste of them and you don't feel hungover or tired the next morning. Um, so... I like that new kind of culture of, hey, let's lay off the drinking a little bit and let's just all realize that it's not as great as one might think, you know? And I think that is becoming more of a popular opinion that alcohol is really not good and it should be pretty severely limited. Okay, let's talk about because I am a Christian and, you know, I want to approach everything, like, I want to see how everything lines up with the Word of God, basically. If I'm making a decision on drinking or not drinking, I want to see, you know, what the Bible has to say about it, what God has to say about drinking. And. Let's. I, so I looked up BibleStudyTools.com Bible verses about drinking alcohol. Now it is funny because the first one that comes up talks about Timothy recommending that uh, um, that the church drinks some wine because. But this goes back to the health thing. So the verse is First Timothy five twenty three to stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So that goes back to the health topic where the water is not. Safe or sanitary, and so wine helped to, you know, uh, helped with the stomach illnesses. So that was the first one, but there's a lot of other verses about not getting drunk. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. That's from Romans 13 13. For 1 Peter 4.3, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Proverbs 23.31 says, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is kind of what I was touching on as well about how every negative decision pretty much is because of alcohol. Like, you're not as risky, usually. Not drunk. Like, all of your inhibitions are lowered, and so that's where you make all your bad decisions. Or, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Like, I've made more bad decisions with alcohol than not. So it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Those two are definitely linked. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led by... Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Again, now, there's a line here that people can toe, I think. And I'm not going to read any more, but there's a bunch more Bible verses about not getting drunk. There, there's like a whole page of them. Um, so you get the point of that. But at the same time, like Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding and Timothy told them to drink some wine with their water so that they don't have illnesses. So in the Bible, it's not like Jesus is swearing off or God is swearing off wine completely. But he is saying to not get drunk and to have a sober mind and to not have get carried away with beer and wine. So... For me, I feel like I have a tendency to, how do I want to word this? Like some people can have a glass of wine with their pasta dinner and be totally satisfied and be totally fine and not feel anything really. Like some people have a super high tolerance and really don't feel anything or a glass of wine just kind of elevates the experience. I feel like I feel alcohol pretty quick. Like at the first drink I'll I'll tend to feel and so already, like, that may be breaking the be of a sober mind. Like, even if I have one and I really feel it. Okay, so then am I not sober-minded at this point? And that is living in disobedience to God. But someone else could drink one and totally not feel it and totally be of sober mind and, you know, just be completely not in violation of what the Bible is saying in that instance. So I think this is where it gets personal. And after one, I'm not like crazy drunk or anything like that. But when I feel alcohol in my system and stuff, and I'm like, and I, I feel that I've definitely had some alcohol, you know, that line gets blurry between like, okay, alcohol in itself is not forbidden, but it says to not get carried away with it. So if I have a tendency to get carried away with it or to feel it quicker than most people or something, then that is, I think in my mind, morally blurry. So that's something that I've been thinking about as I've been studying the Bible and coming across these verses where it talks about drunkenness and getting drunk and sin and obedience and all of those things where I'm like, hey, if if I feel it like quicker than the average person or I know after one drink, I'll maybe want a second drink. Like I think that's a line I'm not comfortable towing and I can have a drink and just stop. But like, you know, that's not that fun for me necessarily. Again, unless it's like, hey, I want a really nice glass of wine with my pasta or something. I don't know. For me, it's just like I want to be not trying to toe the line as quick as as close as I can to disobeying. I would like to go the opposite way of like how close to God's to God can I be, and how close to His Word can I be? And through all these verses, I've just come to the conclusion that it's adding nothing to my life. Really, like I don't want to be towing the line of not being sober minded. I don't want to be towing the line of getting caught up in alcohol. I don't want to be constantly saying like, oh, I don't feel as great waking up in the morning because I had a beer last night or something like that, you know? So this, and I was going to talk about this in kind of a separate like section, but I guess the Bible verses really just led me into how I feel about alcohol and and what I'm doing with it. And these Bible verses have just made me realize even more and taking so much time off of drinking with my pregnancy and being a new mom and stuff like that, I've realized I haven't missed it. You know, there are some sparse moments in between where I'd be like, I'm sitting out on a patio and I, I want a beer. And I think, oh, that would make it, you know, great. This would make it more fun, is like a beer. But other than fleeting moments like that, I really have not missed drinking at all. I wake up in the morning, I'm spry ready to go get amazing sleep never have like even the slightest semblance of headaches because the other thing as i've gotten older i've realized like even if i drink like one drink but it's too late in the night or i don't drink enough water or something i will feel groggy the next morning or like with a headache or something and i haven't had that for the last like 10 11 months i guess 11 yeah 11 months over 11 months so like, I feel amazing. I feel like I'm not really missing out on anything. I don't miss it at all. And those f- moments where I do miss it are very quick. The other fun thing that I, <laughs> I have discovered is non-alcoholic beer. So I got, uh, basically some of my family members are doing 75 hard where you can't drink for 75 days and you, it's like a whole series of workouts and reading and it's just like a whole self-improvement and kind of a weight loss plan. You have to like follow a diet. But part of that is you can't drink for 75 days. And so someone showed me this company called Athletic Brewing and they make non-alcoholic beer. Also like every big beer company makes non-alcoholic beer. So, um, you know, it's everywhere, but I always thought that non-alcoholic beer was like so pointless because who wants to drink non-alcoholic beer, like either drink beer and feel something or don't. But what I realized is that I was wrong. I was very, very wrong. There is something really great about a non-alcoholic beer to me because in the summer is kind of when I want to drink more because like you can be outside at a restaurant and be out in the sun and a beer kind of elevates the whole thing and like feels fun I've probably brought up sitting on a patio and drinking a beer too many times, but that is really fun for me. Or sitting out on our porch and having a beer with my husband or something. But I came to this conclusion that I don't want to drink and I don't want to feel groggy the next day. I don't want to feel bad. So I, you know, someone gave me a non-alcoholic beer to try. I was like, this is actually so good. It tastes just like an IPA without the kind of like alcohol kick that you get. And it still feels like I'm drinking a beer. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. It feels, it looks like I'm drinking a beer. It tastes almost identical. And yet I don't have to be nervous that I'm feeling it too much. I don't have to be like monitoring how I feel. I don't have to make sure I drink a ton more water. I don't have to have any sort of moral dilemma about drinking in the slightest because it's not alcoholic. So... That has been a game changer for me because I really enjoy, I got a bathtub tray and I love baths, but I got a bathtub tray. I have a Kindle and what I do when my son goes to bed is like he, you know, we put him to bed at like 7.30 and... Then later in the night, like at 9.30, I wake him up and try to do like a dream feed and I feed him like an ounce or two more and I put him back to bed. But between that time, between 7.30 and like 9, at some point in there, what I love to do is just pour myself a really, really hot bath, get set up with my bathtub tray, get a book on my Kindle, get a nice fancy glass. I got these glasses that kind of look like retro like wine glasses And I pour a non-alcoholic beer into that wine glass and I sip on a nice beer while I'm reading my Kindle in a tub. And you know, that is the peak of joy. Honestly, I love doing that. And afterwards I can get up and I can, you know, like pump to go breastfeed him. And I don't have to like worry about any of that in the breast milk. And I don't have to worry about, How long has it been since I've had a drink, and how many hours do I have to wait, or any any of those dilemmas? Like I do not have to have. It feels like I'm drinking a beer in the tub, in like a scorching hot tub, and I'm reading a great book, and I just love it. Like it's a it's the peak, and so I realize I'm just not missing out on anything if I don't drink. I don't get hangovers. Like if some of my friends are getting hangovers, I don't get those. (laughs) I don't need to get them and. So all that to say, I think I'm done. I think I'm just done drinking. Now, will I never have a drink again? I'm not promising that. Again, if I'm in Italy and there's like this amazing glass of wine and I'm eating a bowl of the best pasta in my life and I want to elevate the experience with a glass of wine, I'm going to do that. But day to day in my life, alcohol is adding nothing to my life. I'm not a better mom when I drink, not that I've, (laughs) not that I've drank as a mom, but I I know I wouldn't be an an even better, it's not like I'm going to be an even better mom if I drink, you know? No, I'm going to be the best mom if I'm not drinking. I'm going to be the best wife if I'm not drinking. I'm going to be the best sister and, you know, whatever, if I'm not drinking. Drinking is adding nothing to my life. Other than maybe on a patio, it'd be nice to feel a little buzz. But again, that's fleeting And then that afternoon, I don't have a headache and I'm not dehydrated, you know? So that is pretty much all I have to say about alcohol. I think I'm, I think I'm done. And I think really, I'm glad the tide is turning to be less alcohol focused or more people getting sober I think it's been very, very helpful to hear on podcasts, like people who are, who don't have a problem with alcohol, who just want to be done. I think that's been really encouraging for me to hear. Um, and it's really gotten me to think about all this and think like, yeah, maybe I should just be done too. Like, I don't think I have a problem with alcohol, but is it benefiting me? And I've just come to the conclusion that it's not. So I'm grateful for a bunch of people like speaking out about that and, um, Sharing their experience with like not drinking and having a cute mocktail, cute mocktail night. Um, so that is my experience. So um, thank you all so much for listening to this episode all about alcohol. Uh, let me know your experiences with it and what you think. Uh, have you stopped drinking for how long and how has that benefited your life? Or are you on the other side where we you're like. Uh I think alcohol has this benefit. Whatever. I would love to hear the discussion about it and make sure um to let me know what your experience is it. Wow. <laughs> what your experience with it is. So thank you all for listening. Uh if you are new or you haven't given left a review yet or you haven't subscribed or followed the podcast, uh, we have an Instagram called the Millennial Learns on Instagram. So go follow us over there. Make sure to leave a review and a five-star review at that on uh, whatever platform you're listening to this podcast and tell your friends about it because we are growing over here. The numbers are steadily climbing up and I really appreciate each and every one of you listening. So that is all for this week's episode. Next week is another uh, state history podcast episode and we'll be back then. So have a great week everyone and I will see you next week for another podcast episode. Bye!